effortlessly. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Effortlessly. Sheesh. (laughs) And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Effortlessly. <laughs> <laughs> the juice, the juice is on the same pot as the stupid. <laughs> it's perfect. I, I loved it. I loved it, Scott. You're welcome. It's that time. It is. Can't believe it. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay. Here in the Brewing Network studios, all by myself. No one's got my back. <laughs> no. Here with Scott. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron's back there. What's cracking? Looking, <laughs> looking like a baller. Can people see him on the camera? Oh, is the camera still on? Or counting no? big bills. <laughs> what are you doing back there? Just counting somebody's report. report. Okay. Yeah, right. He just fleeced everyone at poker last night. That's what happened. No big deal. He's been listening to the Showdown Poker Podcast. Yes, that's right. Subscribe today. Tonight's guest, the Shoots Brewery, but you know that because you listened to the first show. Indeed. Got Ben and Veronica on. We'll get with them in a minute. After I mention to you all these things, you never call. 888-401-BEER. <laughs> Join us in the chat. Email us. You do email us. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Watch us, although the little light's not on, so I'm not sure. Oh, did that die? Did the feed die? What's going on with that? We've been having problems with the camera. Let me let me swing back there. and Yeah, go for it. I'll do my thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so maybe listen, but don't watch for the time being. Listen live. The Brewing Network app. Search BN Mobile on your mobile devices. Subscribe and leave feedback via iTunes or wherever you do that thing. I would talk about songs, but Scott's not here. So I just want to tell you guys a little bit about, just a reminder, club sales for Rare Barrel go on sale October 10th. JBF comes see us at our booth, What the Funk. And at some location that I'm not allowed to describe, maybe I am. Scott probably thinks I am, but it's uh, somewhere in Fort Collins. If you listen to the last show, you know exactly what's going on. Okay. It's weird without Scott here. I'm just all alone. There's no one to talk to. What do I do with my hands? I don't know. (laughs) That's all right. While Scott gets settled back in, I want to thank our great sponsor, the Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. It's where to get your sour beer, wild yeast, and bacteria from Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Most times you're going to ship within 106 hours. No, 24 (laughs) hours. And best of all, I like this, being listeners in the continental U.S., get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 25 pounds. Just enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop. Find them at wineandhop.com. Thank you for supporting our sponsors, everybody. We truly appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, now it's time to bring back our guests, Ben yes. Case and Veronica Vega of Deschutes Brewery. Hey, guys. Thanks for hanging on the line. Yeah, no problem. So we've got another beer open, and this is 
there must be a mistake because this beer is like five years old. So what's going on? This is the Dissident from 2012. It's, yeah, it's also 11.4%. So we're backing up as our bod with another big beer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we sent the 2012 Dissident. So we are lucky to have our brewer's archive of all the Dissidents we've ever made. And so, you know, our homework for for getting on this podcast was let's taste all these beers <laughs> and see which one, you know, we, we dig the flavor of right now. We hope there's people that, that have purchased this and have cellared it and, you know, can either reap the benefits of drinking it now or they had it in 2012 and they can compare it. You know, those are the conversations that we love with um, our, our older beers that you know, we know can be cellared. So yeah, we thought we'd throw you a, a 2012 dissident. Yeah, it's wonderful. There's a lot of great malt character, a nice light acidity. Uh, if, for people who have been good boys and girls and are buying the dissident all the time and cellaring it and are able to do a tasting like this, what what's, what are the, the brewer's notes, the blender's notes? What have you guys seen? Do you have favorite years i assume you like this one since you yeah, since so, yeah obviously this was our favorite and when we were talking about it there's we have these key elements of in our minds that you know are dissident and that's the oak character the cherry character the light right. brett character and then that sweetness right and and obviously it's a big beer it's 11.4 percent and and there's a drinkability aspect within that. So in all the different releases, there's kind of like, you know, in some there's a little bit more oak and some there, you know, there might be a little bit more residual sweetness. And so with this beer, I think what we landed on is we like all the components. They, they were in the best balance that we thought of all of those being there, but well-balanced um, while still big, still drinkable. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what swayed our decision. Yeah, that, and that kind of speaks well to what our intent is when we're, when we're putting a blend together uh, for each vintage. You know, we know we've got the sweet component. We, we know we have flexibility on acidity and, you know, various years we've seen um, higher and lower amounts of bread. They all kind of start out as the same beer to begin with, and then... Um, some of it goes into to oak, some of it goes into stainless and gets inoculated and it kind of, you know, diverts from there. So it's definitely one of those beers that it's super fun and sometimes a headache to like, or like challenging, yeah. I guess, to like put the blend together because you just have a lot of diversity amongst all those casks. And then you've got your portion in stainless that that gets the cherries and so just trying to figure all that out it's like cherry harvest and you're you know like that that's going to be different year to year and where you're sourcing them and yeah yeah that's a good point is um we do 10 pounds per barrel for this particular beer so it's kind of low on the the fruit spectrum but uh it was funny kind of going back and tasting through these vintages because they're all getting the same amount of cherries and there's two different farms that we've used over the years, but even those ones that are the same farm, it's just that that cherry crop from year to year uh, definitely comes through either higher or lower as the years go through. And so it's just that other component to it that kind of gives it a little bit of uh, uniqueness every year. 
It's kind of incredible how bright and pronounced that cherry flavor still is. Because I always expect fruit to be the fir- fruit flavor to be the first thing to drop out of uh, any beer over time. You know, just like hops. It, and but it's still it's there. I don't know. You tell me, Jay, if your perception is the same. But it's it's all over my palate, and it's it's still it's held up beautifully. Yeah, for sure. It's well integrated with kind of the the malt backbone, I'd say as well. So that's always. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the keys to building. A really good sour beer, which this, of course, is. You're building a base beer to start almost that's... If you didn't have any of the ingredient, you might think the ingredient was there. And I think that mm. allows for more staying power. And that comes from malt, hops, yeast, water interactions. I know that's really broad, but... Um, <laughs> no, but you bring up a good point because all of us agree that the base beer without cherries, when we first, you know, brew it... There's a cherry character, and that's coming from the yeast strain, you know, our sour wort, yeah, Mm. just that base recipe. The dissidence, I think, interesting in that it's not really a fruit beer, but fruit is a layer in, you know, the presentation of this, of, of, you know, what we wanted to present here, you know, a a Belgian Eau Bruin in an elevated sense, (laughs) because I was kind of joking with Benny that... You know, just thinking of my youthful days as a brewer, like my first opportunity to go to Belgium, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be tasting beers that are like the dissident, you know, that are these big, you know, sour beers. And then I went to a festival and, you know, stood in line for an Ode Bruin. And it's like, no, that's just an old brown ale <laughs> prevented from the Belgian yeast strain, you know? And it like totally flipped my perception of of just the the inspiration that we get as American brewers from European breweries and that we have this idea in our head of what they are and then we make them with our own, you know, uh, with with what we have. And, and like, we wanted to bring cherries in. We wanted to, you know, make it big. And it's just kind of an an interesting thing to, to balance that with the reality of when you go to that country and get that same, same beer style. I guess what I'm saying is, like, it's solidified, like, oh, American brewers are doing something pretty different in sour beer, and, you know, like, this is something that we should all own in this community that, you know, even you guys are building here, and all of us sharing how we're making these beers it is unique to us. Yeah, I think what you're trying to say is America. America. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, the Americanization of a lot of things that come from other cultures can be really a great thing. And in other cases, you know, can be quite awful as well. But I think beer is one where, you know, if you just look at the American craft beer scene, it's it's flourishing. And it's strange now to see either traveling abroad or, you know, getting to to meet international uh, listeners or homebrewers. To see American styles or Americanized styles now being replicated overseas is kind of a trip, which, you know, you, kidding. I mean, I don't know, 10 years ago. It's only I, worked in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now it's like, you know, a second degree of separation and sometimes a third, you know, depending on the origin of the style. So it's, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> Wait for it. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's a song of our generation. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
And the, and the the part that's appropriate about that song, which is not much, it's not a very appropriate song, but overall, <laughs> is uh, when they start yelling about American things and they're saying like pizza, Chinese food, <laughs> Bed Bath and Beyond, like other stuff. That's weird, but like a lot of stolen things. Oh wait, here. Oh boy. <laughs> Didn't, that went one too far. I <laughs> bet he says baseball, but like AW. Baseball. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But okay. How to recover from that? Just say the word. You're, you, you're, I'm going to follow you. Okay. We'll say the word transition, and then it'll all be over. Yep. Transition. So you guys were talking about blending the dissident. Blending something we talk about a lot in this show, and, and brewers and blenders, of course, talk about. But. It's so different for for different breweries. So maybe you guys could just maybe just set the scene a little bit. Like, what does it look like when you're blending? What do you like to do? What challenges come up? What is blending at Deschutes? Do you want to talk about like our taste? Like, yeah, I mean, we've actually made some changes in that in the last, uh, I'd say, like five or six months. So traditionally, when we're when we're getting together and tasting a project, we've got um, four or five folks that either have been through repeated tastings of that particular project or might be familiar with it from the past and will kind of line out if it's a repeat project. Yeah, so it's like say. they know the intention. Yep. You know, they know where we're headed. We'll retaste a, like a, a bottle of that to, to re-familiarize everybody with, with where we're going. And then we would take a barrel sample, pass it around, everybody we'll kind of sniff it, taste it, and then we would start talking about it as a group and and what are we tasting, what do we like, what don't we like, and then we'd have one person just kind of recording notes on an Excel spreadsheet so we could kind of line that up with with each particular cask. The last couple projects we've been doing, we're pretty fortunate to have our sensory panel and some uh, pretty cool software that goes along with that where we can target specific attributes ahead of time and set up scaling for that so that as we're going through everybody on their own you know we still we still talk about the barrels and like is this true to what we're looking for or not in this particular project but now we can scale everybody's uh perception of acidity or bread character bitterness or uh, level of oak or spirit character and so in terms of like putting a blend together that's been super helpful because Everybody tastes everything a little bit different. You might have somebody flag something that not everybody else is tasting, but when you're doing notes as a group, it ends up making it onto the collective list. And so now you're going back through and you're like, okay, we had these casks that we didn't like. You might see somebody flag something for acid aldehyde or ethyl acetate, and so you have to go back and you're like, okay, well, did everybody do it? I'm not entirely sure. So having that individual... Uh, scaling has been really helpful to kind of paint a better picture of those casks when we go back through. I guess that's kind of on the analytical. Yeah, piece. I mean, so what it's creating is actual like graphs for us, like these flavor radar charts where, where we can see these outliers of, of, of certain casks that might be, you know, 
outside of the scope of like dissident. We, we talked about the key attributes for dissident. So we would lay, lay those out ahead of time and everybody would scale those key ones. And we would see where maybe the bulk of the barrels are, are landing in that sweet spot. And then there's these outliers that are like visually apparent to us. It's pretty awesome in that way. And then afterwards, taking that data, you know, Ben and Dustin will put a blend together and you know, do a forced carbonation and then get it around the group again. And this is like organic. We're like yeah. walking it, you know, into the QA lab and be like, you were at this tasting, right? Like, how are you feeling about this? And um, thank you guys for that, by the way. That was that uh, carb cap that um, somebody put <laughs> up in one of the earlier episodes. Yeah, that's, I love that trick. Yeah. I guess in, in terms of like putting a blend together from like the sensory side of things, I feel like every project kind of has its own goals and intentions. And, you know, when we approach that, it's just making sure that the group understands ahead of time or doing our best job and say we're far from perfect at doing that, but like trying to communicate to the group of like what the intention is and then making sure everybody's on the same page. And then you can kind of go through and, you know, we, one of the things that we go through and scale is like suitability for the project. And that's like a really tough thing to nail down because every project's different, but, um, trying to communicate that out ahead of time and then going through and find those casts that are kind of appropriate and which ones aren't. And then we'll get through a round of that and be like, okay, well, man, we need X. And so is that going to require like, a separate brew for blending or do we have some stock of a different project that might be able to fill in that gap? I like how you described it as the analytical approach because, you know, I think a lot of sour beer is, is magic and romance and especially people with smaller programs or even just one person tasting all their, their sour beer. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, you, you rely on your senses just in a different way and to kind of put numbers to it to put some structure to it i think is is the natural uh, evolution especially you know, if you have more resources more employees um so i'm happy to hear that you guys are are pursuing that and i think it's you know there's still a lot of magic and romance basically still stuff you can't know about sour beer so it's not like it's getting too formal or anything and it's still hard. So I, I really like what you guys are doing with that process. We're running out of time on this segment. Would you guys be able to stick around for one more segment with us? Sure. All right. Well, we'll get to a quick break right after, Scott. I say thanks to our sponsor. Yeah, you thought you were going to break. <laughs> I've been doing this to you now. You fooled me. Well, there's, we have a lot of great sponsors, and i got to give them the love. You, you know? certainly do. Have you seen, Scott, what the free Brew Guru app can do for you? I have, and it's great. Okay, I'm done then. <laughs> Moving along. With, with Brew Guru, you can effortlessly find deals and save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. Level up your brew IQ with hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. Use the powerful brewery locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs. Wherever you are, Brew Guru will lead you to good beer. Get the app today and follow the path to beery enlightenment. It's free for iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Yes. All right. Let's do a quick break and then get some questions, maybe some listener questions, my final questions. For Ben and Veronica from Deschutes. There's one particular question that I'm waiting for with bated breath. Okay, we'll be right back with that and more on the Sour Hour. 
Hi, this is Ryan Whedon, the host of a new podcast called Branding Brews. Branding Brews is a show focused on marketing, branding, and design for the beer industry. I have spent over 14 years as a professional designer. As a host, I bring my knowledge to the show to interview other great beer professionals. Whether you're thinking about starting a brewery, already own a brewery, want to learn more about marketing beer, or you're a seasoned veteran, this show is for you. This show will cover topics such as rebranding a brewery, package and label design, crowdfunding, design, social media, plus much more related to promoting and creating a great beer brand. Make sure to check out the show along with useful show notes at brandingbrews.com. You can also subscribe to the Branding Brews podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Again, check us out at brandingbrews.com. Corey King from Thai Project Brewing. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. If you want to drink some real sour beer, skip the red barrel and come on over here, guys. Oh, that's great. Scott is frustrated, but it was actually perfect. Because <laughs> there's, you know, if you guys... Uh, are listening on podcast and uh, you will never hear what the hell we're talking about. Oh, you're gonna edit it oh, out? Oh yeah, it'll oh, all be perfect. No, you got to leave it oh, in. So bad. Now that we're talking about it for this long, now you have to leave it in. No, it's good because what I was gonna say is that uh, Corey King from Side Project, good, yes. good buddy, um, throws a dig in at me when he's re- when he's doing the liner, and <laughs> there's some music on your computer playing in the background, and it just totally drowned that out. Yes, it which did. is. Perfect timing. So at this point, I think you just got to leave it in. So bad. This show has not been effortless. I'll tell you that. Effortlessly. <laughs> We're back. We have Deschutes Brewery on the show tonight. We're going to get to some questions that the other BN shows can answer, including Brew Strong, <laughs> Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style in the session with Ben and Veronica's help, I hope. And uh, Scott maybe has uh, a question. Yeah, let's see. Um, oh, questions brought to you by SourBeerBlog.com while you're looking. The longest-running sponsor of the Sour Hour. And now, guess what, Scott? They're opening a Sour and Farmhouse-focused brewery. What? Yep, Central Pennsylvania. Help them get started. Join their Founders Club, which includes eight metal challenge... Go- Wait, no, that's not right. Eight exclusive bottles of club-only aged and blended sour beer. Sorry, I tried to make a joke there. And then you weren't paying attention to laugh at my bad joke. And it just totally <laughs> threw me off. You See, now that you're, you're doing yeah. better now. You're okay. doing much better now. Join their... Uh, I already read that. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Lambic. A hooded sweatshirt. May or may not be zip-up. pair of tasting glasses, club growler, and the metal challenge coin. Not to mention discounts and much more. To learn more and join that Founders Club, check out Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. This is a little complex, so see if you guys can follow me through this. This is from Brian Holter. Now, we've had Brian on the show before. Brian's down in L.A. He sent us beers. Uh, do you recall the wax-sealed homebrews with, like, the swoosh of wax on the label also? Yes. Yes. Yeah, those were Brian. Yeah, and Aaron in there is giving the, the uh, thumbs up. Yeah, those beers were great, weren't they? They were amazing. So anyway. Aaron, sorry to interrupt. Aaron, you got shit on your face, bro. <laughs> You're eating back there, yeah, and it's just like a big thing on your chin. <laughs> you're channeling beef. Just what what is that you're eating again? Jaeger wiener? German food? <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Uh-huh. Got some sauerkraut, some uh, German mac and cheese, and 
breaded pork with a Jaeger dipping sauce, which is probably on my chest. And and it's on Bevo's mic cover now, too, so that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, back to the question. Okay, so Brian writes in, uh, this is is from last October, so uh, I hope... uh, Actually, you know what? No, we are, because you, Jay, as um, the uh, true uh, sour beer uh, evangelist that you are, wrote him back, and then he said, um, you know, use this on the show, too, if you'd like. So let's let's, um, enlighten more than just Brian. Brian originally wrote in and said... uh, Jay, I have a barrel question. I was wondering if you had any insight into with your home with with what am I reading here with your experience in sourcing barrels. Man, I'm telling you, it's it's these it's these big Deschutes beers, man. That's what it is. They you lured just, us in with a goes, and then they right. just smacked us up, a couple, us upside the head. A couple goblets, and that's just it. <laughs> we're we're spinning out. We'll bring you in easy at five percent, and then you never know what hit you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I said I'm part of a startup brewery in L.A. called Los Angeles Aleworks. We recently sourced a number of barrels from a winery up north, and the winemaker specifically sent us barrels that stored wines that had volatile acidity. This isn't something we requested. The winemaker just went out on a limb and sent us these barrels because he said, quote, they should be great for making sour beer due to their VA. He says, I just checked out the barrels, and while all of the barrels are remarkably clean inside, some have significant tart aroma. I'm obviously concerned about the acidity being acetic acid, and by the smell, I think that's what it is. I told our team that we can't use the barrels for beer, but I'm curious about this. When you order barrels, do you specifically ask for barrels without any volatile acidity? I wouldn't have thought to ask that, but now now that I was delivered a solid amount of vinegar barrels, it's going on my list. Am I completely wrong to include that in his future request, he means? Also, are there other things that you request when purchasing or sourcing barrels? As a home brewer, I was just happy to receive any barrels, but now that I'm responsible for a production brewery, I'm realizing I may not be asking for the right thing. My requests were freshly dumped, sealed barrels uh, with any notes about the wine that was previously housed in them great email great questions and i think that even that was a great start to your to whoever you're getting barrels from uh veronica and ben were talking about this before when they were talking about sourcing barrels and you know when they speak about the relationship with the broker this is a lot of what they're talking about because sometimes a broker will just want to oh these are the best barrels we've ever gotten and you know they're great and you have a few questions and they're like oh I've never been asked that before. I can't tell you how many vendors have told me they've never been asked something before. I would imagine, yeah. And it's just, it's to me, I hear that, and it's like, that's code for, I don't want to do any more work on this than I have to, and I just want to sell you whatever I'm trying to sell you. Totally. So, you know, do your due diligence, be pesky, and be like this, asking other brewers, like, what they ask their vendors. So maybe I'll just hand this off to Veronica in a minute. Any other advice for people, maybe just starting, they're going to get their first shipment of 10 or 20 oak barrels what are the absolute things you have to include in those communications well i I think just i mean something especially for sour beer we inform on what the intention is you know so do we want something that's neutral do we want something that has you know some some fresh character of the wine that that was in there or do we want something that's just kind of neutral and it also can we get them pre-sulfuring or or pre any of their own storage practices that wineries typically do so those are the things that we would ask for a direct wine sourcing but then when you get into spirit barrels and other projects that aren't sour beers you know there's different questions and and for, for something that you're putting, you know, big dark beer and you want the bourbon character in there, you know, you're obviously going to ask, you know, some different questions and 
obviously we're going to check the aroma when we when we receive them. I mean, Ben has you know a list of kind of receiving, you know, like a checklist of of just acceptance, I guess. And piggybacking on what you were saying, I think we've all kind of landed on this, like, okay, well what is acceptable and how much can I push back on? And I think the more we communicate on what our needs are and what we do push back and not accept, then it informs the whole supply chain. So it's better for everybody because then the brokers will get a sense of like, man, these brokers are just not going to accept, you know, things that are acetic or, you know, those, those sort of things. So yeah, it's going to be firm. I think the acceptance piece, it's, it's kind of a, post-mortem thing but it's a it's a really good tool to help understand your your barrels a little bit more but um i mean wooden wood the wooden beer book has a great kind of all-encompassing checklist of you know when you're bringing that barrel in like what are you what are you looking for and what are some signs like tightened hoops or something that are going to tell you a little bit more about the history of that barrel that you might not get from the broker and just kind of building that piece is something that is like helping me expand my knowledge personally. But I would definitely recommend that building a historical thread. I mean, it will definitely tell you a little bit more about your relationship with specific brokers. You might be like, oh, man, the last three times like this has happened, like this is continuing to be a problem. I need to I need to talk about this. Wouldn't you say, Benny, like when we were like, okay, there's some barrels that we think are suspect, so we're going to tag them in our own manner. So it's not that we didn't accept them from the broker, but we accepted them, but we thought they were suspect in either aroma or that sort of thing. And we we filled them anyways just to kind of learn, you know? Yeah, definitely. And you can use your own barrel treatment processes to, you know, not bring barrels back from like over your line of what you would accept, but just, you know, if there's things that you think are manageable to deal with, I think that's good. You know, you talk about the the tightened hoops and that's something you, yeah, you can learn about over time. And that I almost equate that to looking like a, kind of looks like if a barrel had tan lines. If you have like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like this kind of exposed area that's like a little paler and it gets kind of concerning and you, you know, you'll notice. And, um, just as you guys were, were talking, I wrote down some of my own. Yeah. That, that pre-purchase communication is when you have your most power. So you're asking about return policies. What if this doesn't swell? What if this leaks like a sieve? What if this has, you know, crazy debris in it or it's not what I asked for? What do you guys do in that case? You know, asking your vendor these questions, um, I think, is is important to do before you purchase. And I think a lot of times, you know, we're all busy getting the barrels in. If 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 those people listening who are trying to do this or anything like me, they're probably like a week or two overdue on getting those barrels in. So you may be you know rushing it a little bit and then trying to move on to your next ta- next task on your to-do list but um you know it's a big commitment and you put a lot of beer into that barrel and having to dump that down the drain is a big thing so i think it's important definitely to take seriously the no sulfur thing i think is really great and one thing to keep an eye out for on that is you know some people use sulfur gas other people will use will burn the stick in the barrel and if you look directly in through the bunghole shine a flashlight just straight through to the bottom and you see this almost like caramelly light brown kind of substance that is not moving from directly below that bunghole area that's probably 
burnt sulfur that dripped out of its basket or something like that, and that's going to get into your beer, and you absolutely don't want that. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. Definitely look for fresh barrels or barrels that have been ozoned. You know, another thing that maybe you'll develop a preference for against is well, these barrels with bamboo bamboo reeds on the outside. We have some of those at the rare barrel. They hold fine, but there's a reason those reeds are on, and it's to, like, keep the barrel together. So it's just another thing to notice. doesn't mean it's a bad barrel. Just an aesthetic thing. It just doesn't look good. That's the only reason you might not be down with it? It's just telling you something. This is not normal. Like, it's it's a little out of the ordinary. It, it, it was retrofitted. So, yeah, just, yeah, it's telling you a story. And then make sure to do a visual check when you receive those barrels because there's weird debris in mm. these barrels. I mean, I've seen, like, crazy amounts of, like, oak inserts inside of barrels, but, like, made of not just oak, but, like, plastic and string and all sorts of weird stuff. And it's like... And sometimes they're attached to the side, so you don't even feel them, like, rolling around. So if you don't do a visual check, you're just blindly putting beer into a barrel that has rope and plastic in it. So. What, what, do you have any idea? And, what? Screw, and screws. One of them had screws. Screws. Yeah. So, screw, well, do you have any idea why that stuff ended up in there? Screws, I can imagine. The, the winemaker just wanted extra oak flavor, and they didn't care about yeah, but plastic? screwing their beer over, <laughs> Scott. Oh, I gotcha. Kinda, that's why no, they're paying me the big bucks. We found that in rum barrels that we brought in, right? Extra, extra chips. Added chips, <laughs> yeah, for extra oakiness. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. So so make sure to you know be thorough and just remember and count those gallons that you're about to put in that barrel. And don't you know barrels are kind of shitty sometimes. So it's it's like would you put your beer into a fermenter without doing a visual check? Yeah, probably not. If you had to you know clean it. So sure. Yeah, just check your barrels. How are we yeah. doing on time? We're doing all right. We're about ready for a break. Thank you, Brian, uh, for the question. And I hope you have uh, some some beers, maybe some pro beers there at yeah, LA Aleworks to send in, man. I, I miss sure. your beers, man. They were so good. Awesome. I want to ask a couple of my own questions. I have time for two. Yes, please. So I want to know, just since you guys have a lot of experience and, you know, the the resources of a larger brewery, just how has your process changed on the, the sour and wild beer side? And and what, what have those process changes yielded in terms of... Kind of like practical results and improving the the quality of the beer you guys are producing. I'd say they're they're still yielding right now. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind with that is in the last like year or so, we've started shifting our approach to how we inoculate beers and how do we design beers um, that we that we want to go through a secondary fermentation with a mixed culture or just like wild yeast or bacteria. Yeah, to, like, best fit the players that were... Yeah, exactly. Kind of looking at, you know, targeting a certain hopping rate or or BUs to kind of set it up for down the road. But also just uh, up until this point, our inoculation has really just been bringing in a lab culture um, at one point and then just kind of keeping that alive, pitching it in when the time came. And we're trying to learn a little bit and evolve to a point where we find mixed cultures that that really suit us from like a flavor standpoint and learning more about those and kind of using that volume as like a mother cask and kind of spreading it out in that direction. I think it, it's, it's definitely going to be a challenge, but that's kind of the evolution where we're trying to take our program right now and it's bearing fruit. It's definitely like a lot of effort, but um, it's been helpful. 
in that larger format, like having having those fooders as a as a recent addition, a recent tool has been so awesome and we're so excited about the beers that we're gonna be putting out. You know, but it takes patience. We just fill them, we're just learning about them. So what we will produce six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, I mean we just put in bunch of peaches and nectarines from you know this year's harvest into that fruit fooder so to be able to do those types of projects where before we were kind of limited in just using small format oak and um, we recently expanded our barrel aging space to have stainless that's dedicated to sour beer blending and primary brett fermentation and that sort of thing so just to have kind of the space and the people dedicated to do this has been a recent shift for us so we're, we're pretty excited about that i mean also our spontaneous projects i mean just in the last year we kind of by accident matt Hahn at, at our pub wanted to make a cider and he worked with an orchard of in um in Oregon, Easy Orchard. So Kevin Zielinski is very passionate about um, growing heirloom apples for cider making. And in getting, transferring the juice over, basically spontaneously fermented and kind of by mistake, we created the cider. And so while we've always wanted a cool ship and wanted to you know delve into that type of sour beer making, this kind of happened spontaneously on its own. And now we're very yeah. little effort. Yeah, <laughs> very effortless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, gaining some confidence in spontaneous cider making and just other fruit fermentation projects. So, you know, breaking news for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we do feel like we're turning a chapter, you know, and that we, we, we started with this small batch reserve and and we have this opportunity in the future to you know continue with the program we have i gotta say it's, it's tough <laughs> thinking about sometimes that like the first spontaneously fermented thing that we released was a cider instead of a beer because we, we had such big dreams like it was almost like our dreams were so big back you know when we wanted to bring a cool ship in i was just you know, it was 50 barrels, and then we needed a building, and then we needed a permit, and then all of a sudden it's like a half a million dollar project. And we're like, okay, I guess we can't do that. But this is by accident. <laughs> so <laughs> it, is, it is pretty funny to us. But it's kind of spurred us um you know today we brought in a bunch of peaches and nectarines and brought in some wort just cooled uh hopped wort from the brew house up the hill and are trying to do some spontaneous projects with that and just kind of learn a little bit more about what kind of local micro we we have and how do we handle it so yeah it's kind of led to a couple fun projects down the road that's excellent. Uh -oh. <laughs> I've been dying this whole time. <laughs> I think that might be the first time uh, a guest has has done it for you. So good. Basically, every time <laughs> I have seen Ben in the last week, I had to stop that. It's been a breaking news moment like, every time. <laughs> you guys made my month. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> 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 
okay. We're fans, all right? We're good. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's much, much, much appreciated, as is your guys' time. Veronica, Ben, thank you so much for being very generous with your time and uh, sticking with us through our, our nonsense effortlessly. <laughs> and, these, and these beers, guys. Thank you for sending the beers. No, thanks great. for having us, guys. We really appreciate it. i got to get you out on this one, uh, and I'd love to hear from both of you on this. What do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is? Oh God! Did we know this was coming? Yeah, we, we actually did. knew this, this was coming. This is like we every single. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, I don't know. I guess the biggest mistake that people make over control, right? Like a sense of control. Like you need. Like it's again. Like even that cider project, right? I'm jumping in. Sorry. Yeah, no. I'm jump just, in. I'm just thinking that we. We started our cyber program with with still that like brewer mentality of like you must control all the elements, and you know when we were just recently talking about the fooders and them guiding us and us being led more by sensory as opposed to cell counts, and sure we we still love the data that we're collecting through sensory. So I mean I'm a visual person. I love seeing like a visual graph of like where all these beers are are lying, but there's the balance of over controlling it right and not allowing for things to express themselves i'm going to say the biggest mistake is not taking up notes (laughs) (laughs) you go the exact opposite road on that just having good documentation of your process you know not letting it guide your process but if you want to know you know, if you're trying to problem solve something and you start to notice a trend, like the only way that you're going to find that stuff is by good note taking and like knowing the history of your barrels and your process. And if you're trying to figure out like what that, what that like parameter is that you're trying to nail down and improve, um, good note taking is going to get you there. So yeah, yeah. don't let it drive the whole thing, but you know, good notes will help you figure out where you were and where you want to get. I think you guys are saying the same thing, actually, even though it seemed contradictory. I mean, Ben, you just mentioned, you know, take lots of notes, but don't let it drive everything. And Veronica, you're saying, you know, you're visual, you like to see the graphs, but at the same time, you know, just don't let it control you. I think that's that's perfect. It's a, it's a good balance there. For oh, sure. interesting. I, I took what Veronica was saying is like, take all the notes you want. You're not really in control. I would say, Scott, you and I are not mutually exclusive. I think we're saying the same thing, too. Are we? Yeah. Because I feel like we're saying the opposite. No. No. So much effort into this final question. I disagree to agree. Uh, Oh, that's a new one. First one. Okay. I think I agree to disagree with that. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Okay, great. All right. Those are good ones. Those are are new ones. Yeah, absolutely. Great answers. And uh, on that note, let's get you guys out of here because you've been, again, very generous with your time. And I know all the listeners will be as appreciative as we are. Well, maybe not as appreciative because they didn't get beer, but pretty appreciative. Um, Ben, Veronica, thank you so much and hope to see you guys soon and grab beers. Thank you, guys. Sounds great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, ditto. We appreciate it. See you guys. That's uh, Ben Case and Veronica Vega from Deschutes Brewing. Indeed. Deschutes Brewery, actually. I was check. I do too. Yeah, because it's like artisan ales and brewery, brewing co. Brewery, yeah. brewing is the, it's, that's the tough one. Yep. Shoots Brewery. They're in Bend, Oregon. In case you hadn't heard, yep. go check them out. And Roanoke, Virginia. That's right. That's right. Very exciting. Okay, so where are we at now? We're we are in Concord, <laughs> but we're in the. <laughs> the uh, we, we need to take a break. Yeah. 
want to thank Oregon Fruit Products real quick. Aseptic purees, easy to use and convenient to store. No additives, no artificial flavors. Yes, simply great expression of the raw fruit. Yes, they love working with brewers. And yes, you should check them out. Fruitforbrewing.com, Oregon Fruit. They bring fruit to life. Okay, now we'll do a break, yes. and then we'll do some questions, and then we'll be done Please. until our uh, Fort Collins show yes. in October. That's right. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. With over 20 years of experience making world-class craft beer and more than 100 gold medals in international competitions, Moylan's Brewing Company is not just a pretty face in craft beer. Just ask Brendan Moylan. What do we got here? The beer of the hour. Moylan's, gotta love that big M. It's like a sign of awesomeness. It's got an extra kick to it. Let's pour this bad boy. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Moylan's. At the end of the night when the kids are finally in bed, the wife's in bed, nobody's bothering your ass anymore. That's Moylan's time. Moylan's is for you. Yeah. It's to help you out. Yeah. It helps me out. What? Well, because it's freaking awesome. Northern California brewed. It's brewed with love. With love? Oh, yeah. Tremendous. And it's always best where? Moylan's. got to try it on tap at Moylan's. In Novato. They're freaking awesome. Not only because I own the brewery, because I love the beer. Cheers! Boom! Kilt Lifter Scotch Ale takes big beers to a whole new level with rich malt balanced perfectly with delicate hops and now comes in four-pack tall boy cans so you can take the party on the go. Or come to the brewery, take a tour, and try any of Moylan's fresh creations right from the source. Check them out at Moylan's.com. Great show. Great shows this evening. Produced by Deschutes Brewery. So if you're in Oregon, or I guess Virginia, try and get those sour beers. Can I say, I think, and not just because the other ones were, you know, more ABV and messed up my reading, and that's the only reason why I couldn't <laughs> read my copy. Uh-huh. I think the Sour Goza, was just, that struck me as like, just... I mean, I, I, I love the other ones, too. It's just that, you know, don't have a lot of sour gozas and it's smoke, so clean. Smoke goes, oh, so, yeah, sorry. Smoke yeah. goza. Um, really good. Yeah. But all the beers are good. But I'm excited to maybe try some more. Yeah. I'm excited I, about their program, for I, sure. I echo your sentiments. It's a, I'm Now I have to re, rethink my, I wouldn't order that if I saw it on the menu. Mm-hmm. Maybe I will try others now because maybe others have, have figured it out. However, it's not as if you see it very often. I have seen it before, but it's been a long time. Don't see it that much, but it was really good. And I think the information even better. Just really good stuff, and uh, another great show in the in the book for us. Indeed. You know, we're past. Are we? We're past three years officially now. Pretty cool. Yeah, September seventeen. We're like August fourteen. That's right. Yeah. Damn. Like all the other things, let's just blow right past it without acknowledging. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> but speaking of acknowledgments. Future 2017 GABF award-winning brewery, Neshaminy Creek Brewing. <laughs> Three-time Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewery. I, I want to be, like, at GABF and, you know, I don't have any, like, delusions of grandeur that, like, oh, everyone's listening to the show or anything. But if I hear anyone, like, if this actually happens <laughs> and just, yes. like, I'm just going to look around and be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You also saw that they're going to win for... Smoke log. I should email them and see if they're submitting it because I'm going to feel like a jackass. Right 
I would like to have it reported back to me that that happened. Uh, if slash when Nishamani wins a medal, like you and the uh, people in the hall that were that listened to this show and knew that it was coming, I just want to hear people a shouting, sl- a slow I knew clap. it, I knew it. Oh, yeah, or slow just start clap. a slow clap perfect. as they walk up. That's perfect. <laughs> Which is also the name of the brew, the beer that the Hopgrenade staff brewed with Sierra Nevada. Slow clap. Is that right? Vienna Lager. Yeah, so it would a Vienna have, Lager. Yes, it would have a double meaning. Oh, did Nishamini do Don't step something? at Nishamini Creek. Two-time GABF Vienna oh, style. Blah, 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 blah. I, almost, I almost got that. Perfect transition. Vienna style Poorly lager executed. medal winner. <laughs> it's tough copy. Yeah. Bronze for smoke lager, as we all know, and that's going to win again. Renovated taste room, variety of beer styles, hoppy double IPAs to sessionable and extremely drinkable lagers to oak fermented saisons and sour beers. Free brewery tours on Saturdays. On Sundays, it costs $300. New second location opening this past spring. Check it out. com. And one more, Scott. Do you dip? Because I dip. Mm. Mm. You should dip, too. I do dip. It's a home or commercial use water testing kit, Scott. You know what it does? I think it, it tests it tests photometers. No, it incorporates a revolutionary. Which is the first and only on the market with its own app. iDip can perform over 40 different water quality tests for things like chloride. Calcium hardness, pH, sulfate, and much more. No, that's too fast. Is that a full verse? <laughs> it seems short. It's like a half verse. I gotta study this song structure. I forgot about this video too. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Oh, look. And then here you got like the Kurt Cobain guy with the. It's like the it smells like Teen Spirit video. Yeah. Do yourselves a favor it's a good and video. watch this video. Uh, podcast listeners, that's you. Should enter code TBN10 at checkout and save $10 on either the standard or advanced smart brew testing kit. Order now and make this futuristic technology part of your brewing process. Visit www.smartbrewkit.com. Nailed it. That's a professional. No edits needed. Nailed it. All right. That's just that's just good radio. Good pod waving. It is. This is hopefully also good pod waving. A question from Pico on Cape Cod who says, blah, 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 love the show, blah, 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 you guys kick ass. Oh, and I inoculated a Cabernet barrel with grown-up dregs from a rare bar bottle. It's mm. tasty. Thanks, Jay. You're welcome. That's he says, great. moving on. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> okay. he wrote that. I recently came upon a source for fresh Jim Beam barrels on the barrel theme. He says, I've got one in route now. Understanding the nuances of fresh whiskey barrels, including the thinner staves and intense character of the barrel, let's talk ideas for a first beer. What sour wild beer approach can you see working with such a unique set of starting characteristics? He says, um, high alcohol wild brews aren't super common, but we did just have a bunch of them from Deschutes, interestingly. Mm -hmm. He said, any grist yeast process ideas for a beer in this regime? Big, burly, wild. Sky's the limit. Thanks in advance for your time, talent, and yeast. So I know you're not a big 
uh, you're not. We we talked about spirit barrels a lot, and I know you're a neutral barrels kind of guy. And we did talk a little. Take some of the, something hopefully from the the high octane sour beer discussions that we have with the shoots. Anything to add though on on that on that front? Yeah, this this is another question that kind of strikes me as like brewer's choice. You know, all these you're asking great questions, but it's. It's the exact stuff that I think most uh, brewers, blenders, kind of enjoy answering on their own. That being said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give you some thoughts. I think we've talked on previous shows about filling a barrel like that with a non-sour beer to start. The character could be, you know, too intense. Totally depends on the character of the barrel you get. If I was to fill it with the sour or, you know, you put out the option of a wild beer, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I would just do like a... A dark brett beer. That sounds pretty good to me. I would drink that beer. And then, uh, you know, you can always use the second second fills after that for a little less bourbon character. But for a sour beer, yeah, I mean, I'd go darker. And it doesn't have to be, like, pitch black or anything. Just get some more malt character in there, not necessarily roast. In fact, I might stay away from that. Just some, you know, crisp, a little bit of crystal malt, uh, a little bit of, you know, we have our recipes of wheat spelled oats, oats that... Uh, you know, building some nice body and tasty flavors. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. It's, you know, it's just such a starting point. It's, the world is your oyster. Go ahead and do an oyster stout. Totally. So that's hey, my so new slogan. The world is your oyster. Make an oyster stout. <laughs> that's a bumper sticker. Trademark BN. 1% royalty, Jay. We'll add it to your paycheck. <laughs> Here's a question from uh, Devin Henry, who says, uh, Good afternoon. I have a question for Jay about designing sour cultures. He says, While there is a lot of good information out there about making sour beer using ready-made mixed cultures from different yeast companies like uh, White Labs, etc. He says, Jay, Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast from oh, wineandhopshop.com. Yep, indeed. Wineandhop.com. Damn it. <laughs> almost got out of here clean. It's the only mistake I made on the copy all night. Oh, man. <laughs> you, you were running perfect until right now. He says, Jay always speaks about using commercial drags in homebrew sour beer. He said, I was hoping to hear about how one might go about designing a mixed culture from scratch using isolated microbes. So I'll go on and I'll read his question, and then you can tell me if maybe I can. we should save it for the next time we have someone like a Nick and Pelletieri on the show. Mm-hmm. He said, over the past year, I have managed to isolate and collect several wild microbes, including several uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae strains. He said, a few brets and several wild lactospecies and some pedio. I also have access to a database of over 6,000 yeast species. He says, I work at a university and I have a friend in the biology department. He said, so I have a lot of microbes to draw from. If you were to design a sour culture from scratch with these tools at your disposal, how would you go about doing that? Throwing them all into a big soup hasn't yielded anything particularly remarkable. What what sorts of contributions would I look for from each microbe? I know it will depend on what style and what beer I'm looking to get, but I was hoping to hear some advice on how to even think about doing this kind of a project. What do commercial labs do when designing cultures? Step one, don't throw microbes into soup. <laughs> no, uh, you've, you've heard of matzo ball. You've heard of chicken noodle. Pretenomyces. What's the soup of the day? <laughs> no, I get where you're coming from. The problem is, and yeah, actually bring up Nick from the East Bay, you know, and I harp on this all the time. He's got the East Bay Brett 183 or something like that. And that's, uh, I think, the first wild capture isolate or just... Cap, not even wild, just captured isolate of Brett that he's released commercially is because the 182 before did Sucked. not yield yeah. favorable results. Maybe they, maybe they taste or smell fine, but they didn't ferment for shit. Maybe they fermented fine, but they taste like shit. And in other cases, 
they fermented fine and tasted great, and then you realize, oh, this is Saccharomyces, or totally. it's like the yeast from my cellar. Yeah, it took a lot of tries. I remember him saying that. So I, I feel like I'm kind of getting into buzzkill territory on this because it's such a cool project, and people need to do it. And you can find this is like this is how you find yeast. It's just, it's it's just a lot of hard work. You know, you, you think about researchers in in labs and like looking for answers and doing it over years and like having frustrating amounts of like no results i I feel like that's what this is so how much do you want to do that i I actually think it's a lot of work and i'm not against it again it's like we need some people to do this so i can then buy the yeast from you (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but how to design it I'll try and answer this because I don't think I've been helpful up to this point. I think you need at least one yeast that's a strong fermenter. So, you know, you're going to want to get some kind of attenuation in there, at least like 70% on the low end. You'll want something probably fruity or funky, depending on what beer you're going to. But again, that isolate may do that in isolation. And once you mix it with other stuff, it may not do it. So, or might do it in broth, or might do it in a little flask, and not on a large scale fermentation. Bacteria, I don't know as much about when it comes to this stuff because I kind of just feel like a lot of times acid is acid, and they're going to be producing that acid regardless. And I don't know. I guess to me, I just don't find bacteria to be as complex as yeast. Maybe mm-hmm. that's totally wrong, and maybe microbiologists are screaming at their iPod minis at this moment. <laughs> um, but those are, I guess those are just my general thoughts. Probably not that helpful, so let's not end on that question. All right. But that's cool that, that you have so much access, and it seems like you know, you're into it, and I, I want to encourage everyone to do that. I think that's a really cool project. Indeed, and yeah, that, that email was also from uh, the archives. I think it's a year-ish old, so um, as as always, you know, please send uh, follow-up emails to some of this stuff. You guys are, we're in the process of trying or experimenting or whatever. You know, we'd love to hear uh, results, good or bad, for whatever you guys have been doing. You know, it's interesting about this show. What? Even our questions age well over time. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> About a year old, they're ready. Mm-hmm. They're ready to be Nothing answered. drops out over time with the questions? <laughs> no, no. They have, they have good sting power. Okay. Preservative action. <laughs> Let's end on one last... Uh, this is kind of a comment, uh, a tip, I guess, uh, from... Okay. Uh, we'll bounce this off you, Jane, see what you think. This is from Dave. Uh, it's um, regarding thin beer. This is back from episode 50. There was a listener question on thin beer. Dave said, here's what I did. He said, um, he heard the question on thin beer. Lots of great ideas. He said, when this happened to me, I took a pound of wheat DME and I brought it to a boil in a small quantity of water. He said, it was a uh, one liter top up in my five gallon barrel. I let her chill and then pitched. I took one pound of wheat DME. I brought it to a boil in a small quantity of water. A liter top up in my five gallon barrel. Let her chill and then pitched. Does that sound, does that make sense to you? I'm a little confused. Just the way it's written, it's... It should have been at the end. Right. He say, so he, he, he took a pound of wheat DME, he brought it to a boil in a small quantity of water, he let it chill, and then he pitched a liter into his five-gallon barrel. Is that mm-hmm. right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. He said the beer did a 180. He mm. packaged it two months later and had a nice medium mouthfeel. So a possible solution sure. for, for thin beer. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's all by taste. I don't, I don't see why not. I don't see anything wrong with that so okay other than how it was phrased <laughs> yeah it was you know it's the last question long show 
Yeah. It, and it, I was it, reading it. That was the problem. Yeah. i got to stop this reading. I'm, I'm having a bad reading day. Well, that's why it's so, when, when you do all the sponsor stuff, you just speak from the heart. You don't have to read anything. That's why it's always so flawless. I apologize to LeVar Burton. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the tip, Dave. That's, that's cool. And props to anyone who gets that reference. Yeah. I don't get it. Old people. No? Old people? You're not older people. You don't get that reference? Mm. LeVar Burton, Reading Rainbow. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. 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 Also, that guy from Star Trek with the cool glasses. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Scott. You're a nerd. Big help tonight. Uh-huh. Thanks to the sponsors, the listeners, the Shoots Brewery. Until next time, stay sour. Ha <laughs>